How can you find peace in your day-to-day -day living? How can you go through chaos and find the gems that are your creative process? What's up, everybody? It's Chase Jarvis. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live, where I sit down with incredible people. And today's episode, we sit down with Morgan Harper Nichols. She is an absolute genius, multifaceted artist, started out in writing and poetry, music, and turned that into what I would consider a global movement, going almost overnight from 10,000 people following her work to now millions and millions. In this particular episode, we learned things like how to find peace in doing the work that you love most, how controlling your breath is vital to actually being able to get what's inside of you out, how being calm is a strength. Also, all kinds of particulars around creative process, how to make money and orient yourself around that it's okay to make money doing what you love most. These topics and many more, my conversation right here, right now with Morgan Harper Nichols, including her new book called Peace is a Practice. I'm going to get out of the way and let you enjoy the show. Hey, real quick, before we get into the show, I want to let you know today's episode is sponsored by Creative Live. If there's one thing that's clear now more than ever before, that is refreshing your skills, being critical to the future of your employment, your ability to live the dreams that you seek in career and hobby in life, to expand your business, attract better clients, or move on to that next phase of your career. A recent survey reported that 52% of employees feel burned out at work. That's up almost 10% from just a year ago. Now, Creative Live is built to help you reach your goals. It's built with your goals in mind and specifically how to avoid burnout, pursue the things that light you up. So what else is exciting? Gone are the days for paying for every one of the classes individually. Now for 15 bucks a month, you can become a Creative Live subscriber and have access to 2,000 classes. That's where Pulitzer Prize winners, Emmy winners, Oscar winners, Grammy winners teach art, design, photography, video, music, business, and more. Check it out. Go to creativelive.com slash creator pass. That's all one word, creativelive.com slash creator pass. Now, let's get into the show. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. Very excited to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm so honored, fan of the show. So yes, awesome. honored to be here. <laughs> awesome. Well, fan of your work as well. I shared uh, with you already, but I might as well share with the listeners to get us started that uh, just moments before we started recording, I was scurrying around the house looking for your book, your most recent book, Pieces of Practice, only to find that my wife had hidden it and put it, not, not intentionally, <laughs> but she'd picked it up and started reading it and it was in her purse. And I'm running around, Kate, where's where's my book? <laughs> so you're, you're uh, oh, wow. are, our household is a huge fan, our huge fans rather. And um, my, my wife is a Zen Buddhist practitioner in many ways, a mindfulness coach and teacher, and is especially attracted to your stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Part of the way that I discovered your work was uh, just a poem. And then I pulled on that thread and, you know, discovered your Instagram yeah. some time ago, uh, where, of course, you have millions of fans and followers. But one of the ways I like to start the show, is, as you well know, is by asking the guest to describe themselves to the audience, uh, who you are, 
how you know what, what what you care about, what your focus is in life and or work. It's a it's a great way for us to get to know you in your own words. So please, um, you know, accept my invitation to share with the listeners uh, who you are, um, what you do, how you think of yourself, what are your you know self descriptors, and and then we'll be off and running. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for that warm welcome. Well, I, my name's Morgan. I'm an artist, visual artist, and also a music artist. And I'm a writer, love to write poetry and prose. And I do a lot of different things. But honestly, pretty much all of it, I can sum it up to I do a lot of things that would make six year old Morgan really happy and excited. And six year old Morgan was just like, give me all the colors, give me all the ways to make something, um, all the materials I can find and what can we do? What can we make? What can we create? I've always been driven by that. And, and, and I feel like I I kind of went through the the past decade of my life of trying to really kind of find a focus within that. So nowadays it it looks a lot like, uh, mostly visual art and, and written words and, and just finding different ways to, connect with people in a meaningful way through art. So I do that through, I have an app. I also have um, a, a physical, like an online shop where we sell journals and planners of my products on it. I do a lot of uh, art licensing. So a lot of my art on products with other with other retailers and, and entities. And, and I also write books. So yeah, a lot of it falls into those categories. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated by the way that you opened with the description of that, that, you know, the six-year-old, you would be so proud because when I, I think my own experience in talking to not just, you know, people beyond the show, but just, you know, people in life, uh, I think would say just the opposite. Like my, the mm-hmm. six-year-old me would be so disappointed that I am a fill in the blank. I spend my time doing X and I really want to do more of Y, but I'm, scared or I'm stuck or and there's so many reasons, many of them very, very valid why we, you know, suddenly wake up one day and find that we have, you know, wandered so far off the path that we had envisioned for ourselves. So I was wondering, how did you either stay on that path of, you know, of being true to who, to, to the six-year-old you, or if you didn't stay on it, how did you reconnect with it uh, mm-hmm. as an adult? Yes, it was a constant struggle back and forth between trying to find ways to kind of stay creative in some capacity. Because even though I I may not have had the language for it, say like when I was in college or in my early 20s, but there was always something inside of me that knew. Um, One, quite frankly, I was just terrible at math and science. So (laughs) when I was in college and and a lot of the like I was seeing my friends take like business courses and things and I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Um, So that's out. And then even with like like in college, like I'm taking like a psychology class and I'll never forget. I think I got a C in the class and I was so disappointed in myself because I'm like, wow, it's really starting to narrow down here. Like a lot of the things that. And I struggled because I was like, I really enjoyed that class. I actually thought I did a good job. Like I, I thought I was retaining the information, um, but just the, the testing structures and all that, it just wasn't for me. I had the experience again when I got to sociology and history, <laughs> got a C in history. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I thought I, I, I thought I was receiving the information. I was getting excited. I'm like, maybe there's something here. And then as I'm going through my transcript, looking at the classes that for, 
I, I had a, I had an A in English. And I was like, that's interesting. I was like, I, that class was so easy. I barely even thought of it. Like I, how did I, I got a 100 in that class, like perfect, perfect grade. And I remember thinking, I'm like, okay, there's something to that. You know, like there's something to, I'm looking at this transcript and um, my only A's were, it, it was, it was English and it was, um, it was sociology. And that was just because that professor didn't do like traditional exams. So I was able to, I think like the final paper had like a lot to do with the, with the class because I didn't even do that well on the test leading up to that exam. So I was like, okay, there's something to that. So there was like these little threads of like, even when I felt like I was failing in other areas, there was like just a little bit of like, okay, I'm getting some positive feedback on the writing. And then as I got through school and as I grew and I graduated from college and I worked at the school that I, that I graduated from as an admission counselor. And I struggled with a lot of different parts in that job. Like just operationally, it just wasn't my strength. But I, I graduated from college at 20 years old. So I started college at 16, I graduated at 20. I was 20 years old in this position. Most of the people in that position were years older than me and had been in the field for years. But for some reason, I got my boss to say yes to this. I said, we need social media accounts as, 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 uh, as admission counselor. And I was like, we're talking to prospective students. They're on social media. I was like, they're not checking their email anymore. And this is in 2010. And so social media people, the average person didn't even really have smartphones really back then, but it was just, just a thread. It was like, my boss said yes to this. Like <laughs> I miss all the other things I struggle with in this job. Like she trusted me to do this and she entrusted me to create a whole infrastructure for all of the employees to have Facebook accounts and Twitter accounts. And <laughs> for many years, they still use those accounts. So I ended up being at that job for two years and the position actually moved to a different part of the state. I couldn't afford to move with it. And from that point forward, it was just a lot of different variations of that. I ended up moving to Nashville to try to pursue a music career. And financially, it was just a real, real struggle. But at the same time, there was just enough. I I was making just enough connections with people who were doing interesting things or who were affirming what I was doing in some way that it was like, okay, there's something here. So I think I just always had it. But in the in the moment with it, it felt very chaotic and stressful because it was like I need more than a thread. I need like a blanket <laughs> so I can <laughs> sleep at night. Like <laughs> these threads need to get woven with other threads. So it, it wasn't until um, t- late, late, late 2016 that I really that I wrote my first poem. That I, I had written a poem. Just honestly, it was a. I like to say it was just a journal entry that ended up coming out in the format of a poem. And I shared that poem and that following January, it had been repinned on Pinterest over a hundred thousand times. And that was kind of like, okay, more than a few people saw that at this time. Like that was like the first time, like I saw like, like a magnitude of people, like a volume of like, Hey, we like what you're doing. We connect with this. Like, and from that point in early 2017 onward, I think that's where I kind of gained an awareness of like, maybe there is more than like one or two people or just a handful of people. Maybe it's possible that 
I can connect with people in a meaningful way that not everybody has to connect with it, but enough that I can actually get into a rhythm and a flow and be creative in a way that feels right for me. So yeah, that was a big shift when that happened because it was just like the sheer numbers of it was like, oh, wait a second. Okay. There's something here. So slowly but surely I started to take on freelancer projects. I started to um, I started to experiment with having an online store and all those things. And I finally started to see it really, really coming together. And, and that took about two years of like, just slowly but surely uh, figuring that out. And, and I'm married and my husband, Patrick, was working in construction at the time. And then he, in 2019, his boss just called him one day and was like, hey, we don't have work for you for the next I don't know when. <laughs> and he was just like, I'll see ya. Well, at the time I was eight months pregnant with our child and it oh was, I'm God. sorry, seven months pregnant. And then we were like, well, uh, we need to figure something out. So he was the one that kind of took all these little things. I started doing a little freelance, started doing a little online. He's like, we got to do something more. Like we got to figure this out. So he actually went and created a Shopify store. And he was like, we're going to sell art prints of the stuff you're sharing, sharing on Instagram. And I was like, I don't want to do that. He was like, I think we're running out of options. Like you should really consider it. So I told him, I was like, well, you go find the stuff. He went on Instagram and he picked out like a whole collection and I didn't like any of the stuff. he picked. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And we released those prints. We did tip prints. I think we bought like maybe, I think we bought like a hundred in total. And it was like a site we found online. It was super inexpensive to start it and we sold out of those prints almost immediately then we launched some stickers they sold out almost immediately and i was like oh i could have done this a long time ago <laughs> thanks <Patrick>. um yeah <laughs> exactly so from that moment forward that was honestly like okay i can finally see all those little threads coming together like they're weaving together now i'm i'm seeing how the creativity can merge with the commerce i'm seeing how it can turn into something so that we can we can if one afford to take care of our child that's coming into the world but we can take a deep breath and say wow okay we're in a rhythm here so so yeah that's kind of the the cliff notes version of, of what that journey has has been like <laughs> Well, I'm fascinated by it, specifically the idea that while you were in it, I think you used the word chaotic, right? It felt chaotic. Mm -hmm. And I think that so many people who are listening <clears throat> or watching right now feel that chaos that you spoke of as they're in this rather messy process, not just of exploring their art, mm -hmm. but understanding who they are, either adopting or eschewing you know, labels that they have for themselves or that others made on them. And I'm wondering if you can go a little bit deeper on that chaos and how mm -hmm. you, you know, was it courage? Was it, you know, that you were bringing a child into the world? Like what were the things that helped you push through that chaos when, you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but yeah. I, I would, I have, from what I read, um, understand just it's a lot of uncertainty in this time when we're discovering you know you, you think that may be the, a word i don't remember where i read that about you that you're talking about that process of discovery and this mm -hmm. is so common and yet i think at most of the creators that see someone like yourself who is polished and has this great online presence and millions of followers and they think it was just linear and mm -hmm. it all made sense but the reality is it only makes sense looking backwards and when you're yes. in the middle oh of it goodness. it's yes. it's chaotic so yes. you know 
talk about the times where you were able to pursue that chaos or you found uh, some thread of hope in doubt. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Yes, yes. You know, a lot of it is, you know, I've had to really slow down and think about that, you know, over the past few years. I'm like, what, what made it possible through all the chaos that I was able to just keep going and not give up? And I really do think a lot of it had to do with the finances. It had to do that I was struggling financially and I didn't, I couldn't find, and, and my story is not unique in this way. A lot of people in my generation have struggled to find consistent, reliable work. And, and that is just, I'm in that number. I'm in that, that number of, you know, I'm a millennial. Like a lot of millennials have that story. And I mean, a lot of people in general, but, you know, it's kind of like a hallmark even of, of our generation in some ways is, is finding, you know, steady and stable work. And that was me. Like I had many moments where I was like, I would honestly just be okay just having a desk job, knowing I had health insurance and knowing that I could do that. And then I'll just make my art on the side. But I didn't even have that. I couldn't even get that part figured out. So even today, you know, I see a lot of people talking about like, oh, leave your job and go do some amazing thing. I'm like, hey, there's still a whole bunch of people who can't even get the job part (laughs) figured out. Like, it's not all like everyone goes to this pipeline. Oh, we have this nice salary job. And then someday we decide to leave it and do our own thing. Some of us can't even get the salary job part part figured out. (laughs) And that was my story. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And I feel like we don't talk about that enough of like, when you don't know like what this year is going to look like financially, when you can't say, I know how I'm going to pay my rent next month. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent in the next three months. Or you're freaked out about like, wow, one bad thing could happen and drain my little savings that I have. And that's a real problem that a lot of people face. And, it, and that's what I was dealing with in real time. I was looking at when I was when I was living in Nashville and I was trying to make my my music career work. I was looking at how many little jobs I had to take just to be able to make a living to do it. And it was a real struggle for me because I was like, okay, I can do it. You know, I'm in my 20s. I got the energy. Like I didn't have a child at that time. Like I can do it. But I was like, even with even in my optimal state, there's a limit on how many jobs I can take. I remember taking this one background vocal gig and I'm a singer and I'm pretty confident in my singing voice. I, I know how to sing. I know how to sing a lot of different styles and I could go into a vocal booth and just wear my voice out to create a help create a record. And then I'm like, okay, I get a paycheck at the end of the day. But then the next day my voice is gone. Like (laughs) I can't go do that again. The next day I have to like take a break. So I'm like, wow, I just keep getting hit with all these limitations. And I'm I'm no lie. I mean this so sincerely. I'm not just saying it because I'm on this, on the show, but you were honestly one of the voices that helped me like say, see, I mean it sincerely. Like you are allowed to charge for your art. You are allowed to earn as an artist. Like I I might be paraphrasing, but you actually said something once very specifically about like, you don't have to like charge at like a lower rate, you know, because you feel like, oh, I'm trying to, it's like, no, charge. like, what is your actual, figure that out, like figure out what that is. So I was starting to try to figure that out, but for a long time, I (laughs) for a long time, I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. I was like, there's something better. But I, I felt like I lacked maybe, you know, the business knowledge or really trying to figure that out. So, yeah, a lot of the chaos, you know, to answer your question, had to do 
with trying to figure that out. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I really had a long look at myself and really slowed down and said, yeah, you can't keep going this way. You've got to figure out what you're worth. You've got to figure out what your time is worth, what your energy is worth and start from there. So yeah, it took Mm -hmm. me, took me a lot to work, (laughs) to work my way to that. (laughs) I think this is so important for people to hear again, because the, the, world that social media will have us believe is very different, that you had doubt and that you were exploring, you know, your own, and you have managed to be successful in many different areas, you know, singing, art, poetry, illustration, um, the licensing of your art into products. Like that is very, you know, for someone right now, there's someone, an architect who's saying, man, I draw plans Mm -hmm. and sketch visions, but that's, you know, very, how does someone, you know, like Morgan find success in all these areas to, to, to hear that there was an exploration period. And I might even, um, again, having listened to you and read a number of things about your background, say sort of there's a self-discovery, like what am I worth as an artist? What makes sense to me? What I read a story about you being handed a guitar mm-hmm. and hearing, I think you described it as a, what sounded like or felt like a whisper from God that, yeah. you know, me and this guitar, we're going to get to know one another or something, yeah. something like yes. that. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it is would you encourage or rather what would you encourage would you encourage you know exploration of a number of things going deep in a thing that you know are, are, how is financial considerations part of it sounds like that was a big piece for you the financial independence no. but you know if you were going to be prescriptive you know i i you know i don't want to yeah. ask you to do something you're uncomfortable with but help people understand how sure. to tap into and or find the one thing, or we're told you have to do one thing well, but you've done mm-hmm. so many things. So help help us navigate yeah. that for a minute, because I think this is a very confusing topic yeah. and space for especially emerging artists to understand themselves. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think the biggest thing that I would have done differently, looking back and all the stress and the chaos and everything that I dealt with, I would have I would have forced myself to nail down a number. And nail down, like, how much do you need, Morgan? Like, because the possibilities are endless, but you don't need everything. Like, how much do you need to be able to say, I'm taken care of, I have food to eat, I have a place to live, I'm able to invest in the projects and organizations that I believe in? What is that number? And I didn't have it for a long time because I, especially, I feel like this happens a lot for people who may be in like a lot of creative industries. Sometimes it's hard because like the possibilities are endless. It's like you see people, you know, half your age making way more money than you've ever seen in your life. So you're just like, how do I get there? It's like, maybe you don't have to get there. It's like, maybe what you need, it's like, maybe you have, you know, a, 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 a sibling who's disabled that you want to help. And you're like, what, what does that number look like for me so that I can help take care of me, but also my sibling that I care about? Or there's this organization, this nonprofit that from my hometown that I want to give to. What does that number look like? So it doesn't always have to just be about like paying rent and paying your phone bill, but it's like, what are your values? Like, what do you care about? And I was not asking those questions. I was just like, what do I need to do to just like be okay and like be in the industry and be in the flow and not have to worry about the thing? And it's like, uh, you kind of do have to worry about the thing, Morgan. Like yeah. you do have to slow down and say, what do you actually need? It's like, you're, 
there are times where I was comparing myself to people who had different values. They had different needs than me. And I was trying to get to where they were, but we didn't even have the same values. It's like, I, I realized this when I recognized it was something I heard Dolly Parton say. I've heard, I've heard Dolly Parton say it. And I think I've heard Mick Jagger say it, but they were talking about how much they love touring. They love being on the road. And I think I've heard Dolly Parton say, like, I'm going to do this the day I die. Like, I love touring. And I remember hearing that saying, oh my gosh, I actually don't like touring that much. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm surrounded by people who love touring. I'm, sur- I'm, in, I'm in a city where, I mean, literally at, at, at midnight in Walmart parking lots all around Nashville, you see tour buses getting ready to go and travel all across the U.S. and go on weeks and months long tours. And I was like, that's actually not my favorite part of this. I was like, my favorite part is sitting in the room and crafting these songs and bringing them to life. I was like, that's why I'm here. So I'm like, I'm literally sitting here comparing my my workflow, my financial situation to all these people who are in a very different place and who have different goals, who love touring. And I actually don't love touring like that. I actually prefer to be at home working on my craft. So that was the first part of it. It's like kind of setting some parameters for myself of, of exploration even. Like getting clear about like, I've got to look at people in my industry and I've got to see like, oh, I actually don't want to do that. I want to do this. And setting that parameter says, so yeah, I'm not going to set my goals around what it looks like to be a touring musician because that's not what I want to do. Even though I see that it's successful, even though I see people doing really well at it, I have to honor my time, my energy and my capacity. And if I don't do that, I wouldn't even be able to sustain that anyway. So Mm. I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, there's room for exploration and trying new things, but you do have to kind of be tough on yourself a little bit and say like, yeah, but I'm going to put up, some, create some boundaries around like what I actually even pursue and get to know myself and get to know like what my actual energy is and what my capacity is. And, and I, yeah, I would have, if I could redo it, that's what I, <laughs> that would be my focus. <laughs> well, please don't redo it because you've, <laughs> you've, you've got to some incredible places. I mean, you know, you've been a vocalist on several Grammy-nominated projects. Uh, in addition to your huge social following, your financial success selling. Again, we're going to get to your writing, which is, you know, you have got a, a new book out called "Peace Is a Practice," that I'm t- in a tug of war with my wife over right now. Um, <laughs> and you said something that I want to visit for a second, which is this idea of getting to know yourself. That was a huge part of this, you know, the last couple of minutes of your your advice. I also read what I think is a fascinating piece um, in the Arizona Central of about you becoming uh, aware that you may be neuroatypical mm-hmm. and finding a, a, an autism diagnosis really late in life that I think, as, as I read, helped you understand yourself a little bit more. And so in the same context of understanding that you maybe don't like to tour and you want to work on your craft and you... Like how important are these things that are extraneous, that are beyond just the work where yeah. in, the, in the case of, you know, the, the story that you've um, been very public about getting to know yourself in a different way and, and starting to put some of these pieces together, looking backwards. I'm wondering if you can to talk to that. Yes, for sure. Yeah, that is all connected because it is very getting to know yourself doesn't mean just you by yourself in a room. 
And what I am so grateful for with, you know, modern times is that we're talking a lot more about our health and about our mental health and, you know, how we function neurologically. And those aren't things that we have to just sit in a room by ourselves and figure out. It's like, it's possible that you can find professionals, people who study this, who can help you figure out what your strengths are. And that has been my story. That has been my story these last couple of years, because I was on TikTok one day about like end of end of 2020, I was on TikTok and the TikTok algorithm started to show me videos of women who had been diagnosed with autism as adults. And it's a very specific video and I was seeing several of them. And I was like, wait a second, that actually makes a lot of sense for me. I was like, it sounds to me like they're saying my whole life story. And a lot of what they were talking about was just, about, I mean, many different aspects of, of being autistic, but some of the ones that really stood out to me, one was a lot of people were also talking about within their autism diagnosis, they also had a sensory processing disorder and things like loud sounds or bright lights will have a great effect on them for, for hours on end. And I was like, wait, that's me. And even the thing I mentioned about not liking touring, I actually realized that the loud music that is played at shows. And it, I mean, I had the opportunity to tour with artists like in, in arena shows, like the, the speakers that are like as tall as buildings. And I would get off stage sometimes like ready to cry. And I didn't know why. I'm like, why do I, I feel like I could literally crumble right here. And I didn't understand why. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, between the in-ear packs and the, and the big speakers, I was like, that's a lot of sound. My nervous system was fighting to hang on in those moments over something that was literally wearing me down. So it was things like that, that I was like, Oh my goodness. There, there may have been even more than just like a preference thing. I was like, I think there's something deeper here as to why I was not able to thrive in certain settings. Especially when the world is telling you you're a traveling musician, you're making it, you're on the (laughs) arena stage and those disconnecting signals, right. Mm -hmm. You're getting from the outside, I'm on stage living the dream. And Mm -hmm. and then you are, you know, as you said, ready to crumble at a moment's notice. Yes. Yes. I would literally get off stage. I'm shaking and I'm like fighting to like keep a smile on my face. And I actually remember, I'll never forget. It was when we were in Lubbock, Texas (laughs) at the Texas Tech Arena. (laughs) It might not even be called that. Sorry if you went to Texas Tech and I just just butchered (laughs) that. The arena probably has a name. I'm so sorry. And I remember like there's like a bay where all like the tour buses kind of like are surrounded by this bay. And it was this huge uphill from like the back end of the arena to get back up to the tour buses. And I remember walking up that hill fighting tears and the wind is just like blowing that West Texas wind. And I get on the tour bus and no one's on there. And I just bawled my eyes out and I didn't know why I was just like, just crushed. And now when I look back at that, I was like, Oh, I was in a room with loud music, blaring, blaring, blaring for two hours straight. And I didn't know that my nervous system was not equipped for that. I didn't know. And I just remember just sitting there like, why am I crying? Like, why do I feel absolutely freaking miserable right now? And not knowing why. So, you know, as I'm watching these TikTok videos, I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Like, all those stories in my life that I haven't been able to make sense of, I think there's something here. So 
thankfully I was able to find a specialist uh, here in my area in Phoenix. And and one of the, the biggest distinctions is because I, I had in the past, I had actually reached out to, I had talked to my primary care physician a few years back that I thought it could be possible that there could be something going on neurologically. And I was like, even my parents growing up had considered that, oh, there could be something here. But when I mentioned to him, he just shot me down. He was just like, you're perfectly normal. You have nothing to worry about. So I had even had these experiences of like, okay, maybe I don't need to go deeper. Maybe there's nothing here. But yeah, in 2020, just finding those women who had had very similar stories to mine made all the difference. And I'm so grateful to say that it, it led me on a journey of, of discovery that I was never expecting I was going to be able to have. And it has brought me so much peace because even while I still have struggles, obviously it's it's good to know what they are. Mm-hmm. It's good to have a name for those struggles. It's good to say, oh, okay, I actually know what my limitations are. I know what my capacity is. I know what I can and can't do. And that's made a huge difference in my life. This whole idea of, you know, what culture says to us or the labels, you know, either helpful labels like you understanding your diagnosis or unhelpful labels, how navigating that and just, it's, if you're on stage, you're supposed to love being on stage because you made it. There's a million people. The same thing was true with me with professional soccer, had the opportunity to play. And I'm like, I think I'm good. And the people in my life are like, how are you possibly not doing this? And, and I also like, you remember, you know, coming to terms with myself like this. No, this is actually, when I make this change and there was just a, like a a sort of a settling in and you used the word a moment ago, peace, which I think is the perfect transition to talk about your new book, which is called peace is a practice. Uh, I'm holding it up here for the folks who are listening. You don't get to see the cover, Um, (laughs) but uh, a congratulations. It's absolutely stunning. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what made you write the book and then we'll talk a little bit in more detail about these practices or the first, the concept that peace is actually, it's a process, it's a practice. It's not an end. It's not an end state, for example, and some of the ways to get it, but the word peace, this tranquility, when you settle into who you are, as you just described, um, there is sort of a reassurance and people have felt that when you have been holding on to a story and you then share it, or you've been, you know, telling a lie and then you tell the truth. And there's just mm-hmm. sort of this like a, a comfort that washes over us. I'm wondering, talk to me about why you wrote the book and, and then we can transition into some of the, the benefits and some of the specific tactics that you would recommend for people who are looking to have a little more peace in their life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I wrote this book right in the middle of my diagnosis process and that wasn't the plan at first. I, I had an opportunity with my publisher to write a book and I knew it was coming, um, but I didn't know that I was about to go on the several month journey of, of being diagnosed with autism. And it ended up being just timed at the same time that I'm literally having to, like through my diagnosis process of looking back at my whole life. And there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness, to be honest, when I look back, when I look and see things that I struggle with for a long time, a lot of times alone, didn't ask for help, didn't know how to ask for help. And there's some grief and sadness there. And at the same time, 
I was able to see that that those struggles also taught me that I could learn how to breathe through it. And I could learn how to practice finding ways to take deep breaths amidst all the things that I couldn't understand. And it led me to this image of a river that I'm just a very visual person. Sometimes I'll just have a random thought and then like, I'll just have like a mountain appear. I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. Let's just see what, let's just see what the mountain's about. <laughs> um, and that was, that was a river. And I was like, wow, it was almost sort of like, there's this river that's been flowing through my life. This constant flow of like, hey, Morgan, you matter. Like you have something to say. Yes, you're struggling, but you're still here. You're still breathing. Even when you failed, you're still breathing. You're still here. Inhale after exhale. You keep, you keep existing. You're still here. You still keep making meaningful connections, finding amazing songs, encountering art, encountering sunsets, encountering relationships, all these things that make life worth it amidst everything that isn't figured out. How amazing is that? And then I started thinking about this old song that I grew up listening to. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. And the first line of the song says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. And it made me think about, wow, isn't that fascinating? Because the guy who wrote that song actually wrote that song going to go meet his wife after their four daughters had just drowned on the very ocean that he was traveling on. And I was like, if he was finding peace like a river, I wonder if, if that's what peace is. Peace is something it's not like this little globe that we can kind of hold in our hands and say, okay, I have this perfect version of peace in my hand and I'm going to hold it and keep it forever. It's something that you have to go through the wild to find like a river. And, and it's, it's different than, you know, something that we just all see every day. It's something that we have to slow down and go and search for through the wilderness of our own lives to find that freedom to breathe. Even, when the worst things happen. And I'm like, yeah, I've never known grief like what Horatio Spafford has known, the one who wrote that song. I was like, but I have known struggles in my own life. And I have known that when I look back, I can see that there has been room and freedom to breathe. So peace is freedom to breathe. And it's something that we can practice finding in every, every day of our life. And I wrote this book because I was like, hey, look, I'm not an expert, but I do have a lot of experience with trying to find freedom to breathe in my life because I just spent a whole several decades with undiagnosed autism. And yeah, I've got some, I've got some things I've learned. I've got some things I've learned. So I was like, I want to help other people find those practices in their life. So that's what this book well, is this, about. Well, thank you for writing it. And this, it's, it's so timely. It seems like we're because we're in an information age and we are bombarded with something like a hundred times the messages that people received in a day just 10 years ago mm -hmm. through our phones and media landscape and um, just new technologies as an example. <clears throat> it, you know, if anyone's wondering the power of breath, it should, we take blood pressure pills and there's all kinds of, you know, uh, external medicine that, can help us control those things. But almost 100% of the time, if a human being can find one minute to breathe deeply, one's blood pressure is reduced like that very consistently. Mm -hmm. And 
the simple fact that breathing can directly correlate and directly affect your physiology, the simple act of breathing deeply. This is, you know, something I learned some time ago and it, it was my wake up call. Like of all of the things we can do to change the trajectory of our neurology or our heart rate or our blood pressure, or the simple act of breathing deeply is very powerful. So Mm -hmm. to that end, can you give us some practical, um, resources, some ideas and some constraints about the practice, you know, you call it the, the very opening chapter is peace as a practice. Um, but since we were talking about breathing, what are some of the techniques that you recommend that you've experienced that you write about that would be, our listeners just could pick up Mm -hmm. in a moment and start to experiment with or experience themselves? Yes. You know, I, what I have found in, in just my own research and, and looking for my, just looking for things that can help me is one, you know, just engaging in, in intentional breath work and in, engaging in, in practices that, that help us kind of mindfully restore. Um, and I, I use the word restore because it's like we were born with this capability of, of breathing mindfully, but the busier life gets, the more complicated it gets, we forget. So I actually reference in my book, um, another book, uh, it's called uh, Breath by James Nestor, and he gets into the science of breathing and, and what we can learn from other cultures, from ancient cultures on breathing. And and I, and I start with that, but I don't start with, well, I don't stop with that, because one thing that I found is that you know, depending on how you're kind of oriented in the world and, and what you may hear or research or read yourself, a lot of people are familiar with, you know, oh, yeah, I should incorporate some kind of breath practice or breath work into my life. And what I found is that what I found is that breathing helps us be, be in our body. And there are many other aspects of being in our body that get ne- neglected. And breathing is a way that it's, it's an invitation to explore those other areas. So one thing that I explore in the book and I write about and I give very concrete examples and different researchers and people who've studied this are different ways that we can incorporate all of our available senses. And I say available senses because sometimes like, you know, everyone doesn't have access to all the same senses, but how can we incorporate smell, hearing, touch, taste to help us be in the present moment? Like it's not just an intellectual thing. It's a bodily thing. And our modern times oftentimes takes us out of our bodies very fast. Because like you mentioned, we have to do so much intellectual work on a daily basis to just answer all those emails coming in, to just to just like try to function with all these bright artificial lights in our house. So one example that I give in the book, I share um, something that a, a journalist practice um, with some researchers, and that is just exploring the effects of artificial light in our in our lives and and really reevaluating that and and really questioning like you know not just you know it's like a lot of us probably grew up here like turn those lights off you know so you don't burn that you know run up the electric bill but it's like even beyond that it's like turn those lights off because what is that doing to us that our our biological clocks are being are being re kind of like recalibrated based on the fact that the day no longer ends when the sun sets and these lights just stay on and we're not even able to slow down and 
rest in the way that we need to because we have lights everywhere all the time. So, you know, I'm not the kind of person who lives in a house with like a whole bunch of like 12 foot skylights or anything. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to kind of get that natural light. So one practice that I give, which is inspired by some of the research that I reference in the book, is I like to have a lot of candles around my house. And one thing that I'll do is when I sit down to work, especially in the evening, I'll light a candle and not like a big five wick candle, just like a one wick candle. And what I notice when I light that candle, I say, when I when that candle is at a point where it needs to be blown out, that's when I'm going to go out. And that's when I'm going to leave. That's when I'm going to take a break. And it's fascinating. I, I've been practicing this. It's been helping me actually slow down a little bit more because that candle can only burn for so long. Lights can burn for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, but we are not fluorescent lights. <laughs> we are not light bulbs. We're a lot more like that candle. We can burn bright for so long, but then we need a break. We need a break. So yeah, that's just one like small thing that I like to give people because I'm like, it's so simple. It's like, get a candle, light that candle, let that candle be a symbolic reminder of how you can intentionally slow down and take a break. Well, thank you for referencing uh, James Nestor's work. He's been a guest on the show. We spoke about his book. So we'll we'll highlight that in yes. the show notes here for our guest. Um, I did notice that you referenced that. I think it's full circle moment here. I love it. Um, <laughs> well, when, yeah, when, when did you start using the word peace to describe the inner feeling that you were attempting to cultivate because mm -hmm. presumably there's all kinds of, you know, words. And as yeah. someone who writes as well as you do, you have vocabulary at your fingertips. Is it, could it have been lots of other words mm -hmm. or was peace? Was it very clear that what you were seeking was peace and just, you know, curious how you landed there yeah. and is, you know, or was there some, you know, outside some tradition that you were referencing or, mm -hmm you know, why peace and why has, have you hung so much of your, you know, in this most recent book, you're mm -hmm. hung your hat, so to speak on the concept that peace is, is rejuvenating and connecting and powerful. Why peace yeah. and not something else? Absolutely. I love that question. So I'm going to get a little nerdy and a little specific here. So I come from, I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, just like a, a community slightly outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And I grew up in a, in a African-American Christian tradition where I observed just as a kid, my, my parents were actually pastors. And I observed this from a lot of people that have included is that there is within the tradition that I grew up in, there's a tradition to find meaning and definition for things from songs and from art and it was not unusual to hear a sermon or someone preaching and referencing a song as a way of bringing the point home. So, you know, in modern times, like because I've gone to school and I have tons of respect for academia, you know, if I'm like, if I'm going to reference something, it needs to be something in a book. I need to cite, you know, cite it and put it in a particular format. And that's how I can define things. But what I've learned when I look back at my childhood, I was like, what I was actually learning was how to define things from embodied experiences, from singing songs and listening to songs. So that song I mentioned earlier, It Is Well With My Soul, that first line, peace like a river, 
that that was that was the start because from a young age i would hear the that i would hear that reference and messages i would hear that brought into the fold of like trying to communicate an idea and and that to me it stood out to me as oh that is the definition peace is is something in nature and peace is something that I can, when I am a, a, a little kid who's feeling really overwhelmed and I can go outside, I don't see a river, but I imagine what could exist in this landscape. So a lot of, um, like, even, like, even, even for me with like, like bigger words, like God, as a young kid, I always associated God with creativity because I grew up singing songs about God creator. And I was like, oh, I like to create. Okay, that makes sense. And from a young age, it was very literal for me. It was peace is something I associate with nature places that help me calm down. And I believe that as I've grown older, I've just evolved that. And that's something that I'll always hold on to because there is a pressure sometimes like when, when you're a writer to define things in the quote unquote correct way. It's like, okay, well, what's this in the Latin? What's the, this is in, in the Greek? And I appreciate that. And at the same time, I also want to honor what I came from in my own tradition of how maybe those those songs that defined that feeling is actually how you define it. So for me, that's where that started. It started at a young age and I feel like I've just nurtured that more and more. And I, and I want to hold on to that. I'm like, yeah, peace is a river. Peace is being in nature. <laughs> I, I love it. What made me want to ask that question was um, reasonably early on in the book, maybe the first third or something. Um, I'm actually just flipping here. It's on page 32 you know, the, the way that I talk about it. And since you're familiar with my work, I talk about, you know, creativity is not moving to Paris and uh, donning a beret and smoking a cigarette and getting a new set of friends and having to, you know, stop your job as an accountant or, uh, you know, it's not those things. It's not what you mm -hmm. think it is. And I was touched, uh, in, in this particular part of the book, when you talked about what practicing peace is or is not, and you describe it, I'm just going to read for a second here. Practicing peace is not, everything's okay, I promise. Practicing peace is not, I'll be fine, don't worry about me. Practicing peace is not, you know, I just want everyone to be happy. Practicing peace is, I'll just stay out of politics. Practicing peace is not, I won't mention what bothered me. And practicing peace, you justify, is saying things like, it's hard to say this, but I'm not okay. Practicing peace is, this is not easy for me to ask, but I do need your help. Practicing peace is recognizing that you can no longer live to please everyone. And that's, again, it seems like there are many different words that we could have chosen. But this idea of peace, the pictures that you painted with, you know, the river and forest and nature the combination of those ideas plus, plus the breath work to actually achieve peace. I'm wondering, is there a correlation between that and, and truth for ourselves? Because when I hear someone speak truth, and maybe this is part of the tradition that you come from, um, or it's, you know, I know this is my, when someone says something and you know it to be true, mm -hmm. you're like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but that person said, that's yeah. the sound of truth right there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm wondering 
peace? Does it is peace correlated with truth in your world? And this is a, obviously a, 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 I am grasping at something right now because I was when I was reading this, I gosh, it just when I hear when you feel peace, you feel a certain way. When I hear truth, I'm like mm. that. You yeah. know what, what? What she said? Yeah, yeah. I I find I think there is a, a correlation there because. I do think that peace, and this is why I, I like to define you know peace as 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 a practice, something that is is experienced like not as just like the object, the thing, the only you know. It's 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 a whole it's a whole experience, and it's an experience that leads you to a deeper place. It's like the more you're present in the moment the more you're present to where you actually are in your life, in your mind, in your body, your heart, your soul, the more you're present, the more you start to uncover what's really true. Mm. And Mm. the more you start to see, yeah, this is what, this is where I'm actually at right now, but we can only get there from slowing down. And I think that that's why, you know, you know, kids are always known for kind of telling it like it is and just like, you know, they haven't, they haven't learned how to sugarcoat things. Like they're just like, this is what I think you asked me. This is what I think. And I think a lot of that comes from like, they're able to get to the truth so fast and say, Hey, here's what it actually is, is because they haven't learned all those ways of like creating all these stories and narratives that think into the past and the future. And what are the implications if I say this? And what are the implications if I say that they're not thinking that they're present to the moment and saying, this is what it is. You know, like I, I just this morning I was, I was driving my son to, to, my, to his grandparents' house, my parents' house. And he's two years old and like just everything is just like, oh, this is a red light. I'm like, yes, it is. And this is another red light. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, it is. I get it. I'm so glad that you're present at the moment, but we've identified like three red lights now. I think we're good. We've established that we are hitting red lights. But he's so present that he's like, this is what's true in this moment. This is what's true. This is red. This is green. This is someone walking by. Now we're slowing down at the yellow. It's all very in the moment. And I think the older we get, the harder it is to get back to that place. So we have to be passionate and we have to like really kind of force ourselves to say, hey, we need to slow down so we can get back to what's true. And I love that you said that. And that's something that I honestly, I spend a lot of time thinking about whenever I'm communicating with people in my audience, especially in my community, because especially, you know, I'm like, I don't. I don't know this person, especially when it gets to like typing things online, a lot of context and nuance can get lost. So a lot of times I even, I slow down and I say, okay, if I want to respond to this person in a meaningful way, I have to get down to what I know to be true in this moment. And what I know to be true is that this is a human being in need of love, in need of support, and in in, in need of knowing that they matter. But I only get there if I slow down and I give myself permission to say, hey, we're just going to breathe through this for a moment and we're going to spend some time practicing getting to that place. So, yeah. Mm. Spoken. <laughs> 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 there is uh, a fair bit of recognition in the book about regret. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could talk about it. To me, this is a, 
a topic that I was totally, I would just say, ignorant of or disconnected from, or I don't know what the right set of words are, but it doesn't make me want to not ask the question because as, you know, uh, in getting older and more familiar with, you know, deciding to walk through this door is making a choice not to walk through other doors. And Mm -hmm. I try and live regret free, which this connects indirectly to this idea of when you're, when you're sort of living peacefully, when you're aware in the moment, when you're speaking truth, it seems there's a, there's a inverse correlation to regret, mm-hmm. right? The more I do this, the less I regret. And when mm-hmm. I have lived, you know, inauthentically or said something that I truly didn't believe in order to elicit a different set of uh, experiences to relieve myself of the burden of having to stand in that truth or be mm-hmm. authentically me or whatever, I'm wondering how, how you know, how did you come to be able to write so beautifully about regret? And if you would be willing to share some of the thoughts, of course, again, you really need to get the, get the, get the book pieces of practice to get all of this, but what, give us the, 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 you used the word cliff notes earlier. What, talk to us about regret because the way you write about it is very um, powerful. Mm, Yeah. So yeah, early, Early in the book, I actually write about something that is is very it's heavy on my heart because I'm actually most days I'm kind of like you. I'm like no regrets. Okay, I want to film all that stuff. Let's just keep going. Like that's I try to stay. I try to stay in that. I really, really do. But because I have really positioned my work, the work that I do and share with the world, I've positioned it in a way that you know, I'm, I'm sharing a lot of vulnerable things. And I've encountered a lot of people who have messaged me in those moments where they too are, are not quite at that, no regrets, I'm moving forward. And they're like, oh, I think I really messed up. I think I really missed out on, on what was meant for me. I feel like I just, I went the wrong direction. And a lot of times the stories that, that people are sharing with me are far more intense than what I've been through. So that for one, it keeps me in check. <laughs> you know, it keeps me in check to even think about, you know, on those days where I'm just like, yeah, no regrets. Like I've, I've learned from all that stuff. I'm empowered. Those mountains and valleys are behind me. Let's keep going. On any given day when I'm feeling that way, there's someone else out there in the world who experienced someone passing away in their life and they're opening their phone and they're seeing that text, that last text message that they didn't respond to. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't experienced that. So, you know, I'm like, I'm very cautious even about how I write in a way that I want to make space for those people. Because I'm like, if I'm, if I am in the present moment, you know, if, I, if I'm somebody who believes in being in the present moment, I have to consider that for some people, the present moment right now, it is absolute chaos. It's the it's it's hard to be in the present because it just really sucks right now. So even when I write, I, I write very early in the book about remembering certain moments in your life that are that are multi multifaceted and how you remember that 
night that you had with someone that you you really loved, but you also remember that, that was the last night at this that you had with them. And I share and I really spell out these examples because this is what I what I've been hearing from other people and and how when people respond to what I share, even just in the comment sections, I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about that. And I've even had some people like, uh, and and I'm grateful for people that do it. Like there there are even some some poems that I don't even share publicly on social media anymore because I receive messages from people that are like, hey, actually this particular message doesn't apply to someone who may have, you know, who's trying to leave an abusive relationship. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And I was like, I don't even want that to be misconstrued. So it's not that I'm trying to like say something for everyone, but I am aware that all kinds of stories are interacting with what I share on a daily basis. So for me, it's like, even when I, even though I personally when I'm in, a, in the best state and I'm not even thinking about regret, I always want to hold space for those people that are. And that's why I try to dispel those different examples out throughout the book of like, hey, I recognize you might be in a really tough spot right now. And even if it's something I've never been through and I don't have the specific answers for you, I want to acknowledge it. I want to spell it out. And I want to let you know that you're still free to breathe through it as you seek out the love and support that you need. So- yeah. Mm. I want to talk about your process for a second. We've been talking about yeah. the actual, the definitions, the framework that you've created for your work and you know, your writing. And, and yet I, I was fascinated to learn more about your process of reading stories of others and then writing, you know, to them yeah. from that perspective for them. Can you talk us through that? And then I'm interested in both the conceptual, um, creative process where you're taking stories. I think that's a fascinating thing for people out there to understand your process and also your digital creative process, like how you write, what time mm -hmm. of day. And, you know, yeah. I noticed you, you've talked about designing on an iPad pro rather than, yeah. you know, and I see behind you for those folks that are listening, I'm sorry, you can't see there's some beautiful um, paintings and art yeah. artwork behind Morgan. So clearly you do more than digital, but just, walk us, orient us. Um, I'm always fascinated by the, yeah. the stories behind the stories. So share with us if you would. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know how other, I only know my own creative process. <laughs> so I'll just explain how it is for me. That, that's what I want. For, yeah. For me, I have to have something that anchors the work, something that it's like, okay, from all these different angles, like I've got all this, all these different mediums, all these different materials I use, I have to have something that brings it together. It has to be, and I, and I came to that from a place of, I was, I was starting to share my poetry and I was starting to kind of experiment with visual art, just as kind of like a hobby and just kind of passively sharing it. This is after I was sort of trying to transition out of music, but didn't really know what I was doing yet. And I was just starting to kind of share it passively. But, I, there, but there was a, a level of anxiety there. I felt like I was kind of all over the place. Like I was like, okay, I'm doing a little bit. Like I was literally like doing some spray painting in the backyard. And I also was like on my iPad. And I also was like trying to do a little bit of photography. And it was just, I was just like, this is, this is just like, it's like, it's kind of fun in the moment. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, well, what am I doing? Like <laughs> just, the house is a mess. I've got all these materials all over the place. Like what is going on? So in 2017, at the end of the year, I was like, you know what? It was, it was October 2017. I was like, 
you know what I do, what does keep me going back? And even though I'm trying all these different things, I was like, it's when I receive messages from people about what I've shared and they're like, this spoke to me and here's my story and what I've gone through and, and why it spoke to me. I was like, that helps me focus like no other because suddenly it's about a real person. It's not about like just these random followers or people out there that just may or may not connect with what I'm sharing. I was like, in that moment, it's about a, just connecting with a real person. And I was like, that is when I feel like I have some of the most focused energy is when I know I'm speaking to a real person. So I was noticing with myself, I was like, you know what? For whatever reason, just the way I am, I overthink like an Instagram caption or, you know, sharing my work. But I was like, I don't overthink when when someone is sharing their story with me and they're saying, thank you for sharing this. Here's what I've been through. I was like, my response to them feels very natural. I was like, my inner critic is a little bit quieter because I'm just talking to one person. It's just a conversation. I'm talking to one person. So I was like, oh, I think I, think I need to flip this. I think I need to make my creative process about conversation and make my creative process about how I can, how I can just focus on communicating with people and then social media and all that other stuff is just sharing what I already did. So I was like, I need to find a way to just keep talking to people and connecting with people in a meaningful way. Cause that is, that's what's fueling this. That's what fuels me. So I posted on my Instagram stories. I said, Hey, I want to invite you if you want, Share your story with me in my DMs and I will respond with poetry and art. I'm not going to share your story publicly, but I'm going to respond to you with poetry and art and I'll send it to you before I share everywhere else. And this will just be something that you'll just forever know was, was inspired by you and I having this interaction. At the time, I think I had, I don't remember exactly, but at the most 10,000 followers, like somewhere in that range. And it wasn't even really that engaged. It, had, it was kind of like, it was for music. I had kind of like built, you know, a little bit of a following. So not a lot of people, I actually was getting a lot of unfollowers. Like when, when that first, when I was first starting to share art, because people were like, what is she even doing? Like, it was just all over the place. But um, I woke up the next day with hundreds of messages from people who didn't even follow me, who had no idea. They're like, hey, I heard that you're just like listening to people's stories and I don't even know if you're going to open this message, but I just need a place to let this out. And I looked up one day and I was making way more art and sharing way more of it. And then it started to look like, you know, an art style. And it just came from person by person, one by one, letting that be the focus and then that gave, having that focus gave me the permission to do a little spray paint here, do a little acrylic here, do a little digital art there, because it was all focused on the final format of that is eight and a half by 11 image that I sent to someone. Here is a poem and a piece of art that I created with you in mind. So that gave me permission to just like try all these different things. And I'm still doing that. Like I right now, I haven't really shared any of it yet, but I'm working on 3D art right now. And I think of it in the same lens. I'm like, when I, when I render that final graphic, when I render that final image, that is created with one person in mind. 
So it's still, it's still, and that gives me permission to explore with all these mediums. So I think it's, it's kind of like this twofold thing of like, I always try, even when I want to explore a new medium or I want to explore something different, I'm like, what is the, what is the goal here? Like, what is the, the main focus? And for me, it has remained one person at a time. I'm still doing that. I'm still writing with one person at a time. And sometimes I'm, I'm sending it to them directly, but sometimes I'm just, when I'm, for instance, when I'm writing a book, I had a very clear image when I was writing Pieces of Practice. The entire time I was writing this book, I had an image of a freshman in college who had no friends. That's who I wrote the book for. It was a very specific person. And I've never met her. I don't know who this exact person is, but that's who I wrote that book for. When I would get stuck, when I was having writer's block, when I was like, oh my gosh, who in the world let me write another book? Like, <laughs> I'm actually paying me to do this? <laughs> I know. I have that one image and I, I use that as a guiding principle for all of my projects. It doesn't matter how big it is. Even, I mean, I have like some collaborations rolling out where we have like, like 20 different SKUs of products that we've created. And even then I'm like, who is this for? I absolutely have to know who is it for. And even if other people I'm collaborating with, even if that's not how they think, I let them know, I, for me, I've got to be there. Like I have to, it is like, it is practically a spiritual practice at this point. I'm like, I have to slow down and think about who is this for? So that is the, mm. the guiding principle for, um, for my creative process. And one more little thing I'll add is that as I kind of evolve more and, more, more and more with my art, sometimes that who is that for? And it's becoming more and more that sometimes it's myself. I recognize, oh, I am writing this for 16-year-old Morgan. That is who this project is for. It's to honor 16-year-old Morgan it's to honor six-year-old Morgan. It's to honor present-day Morgan. So yeah, who is this? Well, it, this it's fascinating because I think most people, especially artists earlier in their careers, where they're looking to find their voice, so to speak, there's a mm -hmm. compulsion. And if you can avoid this compulsion, you're wise and great and brilliant. But most people that I know cannot, which is you have a longing to, for your work to connect with other people. And th what that translates into is writing sort of ambiguously trying to capture everyone, trying to write, mm -hmm. you know, rope your arms around as many people as possible. And I think it's incredibly powerful to hear you that, you know, starting at 10,000 followers now having 2 million followers through this specific process of writing for one person. It is actually that was the thing that, you know, potentially there's lots of things, but that was one potential major factor in seeing not just growth in numbers, but more so measured as, as connection because people were mm -hmm. connecting with the work. And if you write for one person, you're like, well, first of all, you got a lot of material, right? There's seven and a half billion yeah. people. <laughs> I know it's so fascinating and this is only I'm trying to be that person like in my book but like I really <laughs> did like fill this book with like all the stuff that I just want to nerd out about I was like this is what this phase is for I'm just going to nerd out about all these specific things and there is um, you know famous famous writer who wrote 
the book Ulysses, which is just like this super, super thick book, which full disclaimer, I have not read the whole thing. Um, but James Joyce, the author of that book, you know, he talks about the concept of like the universals and the particulars. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just stand by that like completely. And sometimes it gets really hard because the world is noisy and it's like, yeah, having 2 million people follow is a lot of pressure. Like, <laughs> I feel that pressure. I feel the responsibility with that. And at the same time, I have to remember they are all individual people with individual stories. And if I could just speak to one person, it's that it's that specificity. It's that that moment that ends up connecting with more people. Yeah, the the this is not the exact quote, but the concept that Morgan's referencing is concept of in the particular lies the universal. So by writing about one particular person, it turns out that the human experience is wildly like everyone's got their own version of it, but some of these Mm -hmm. core underlying principles are, are, are universal. And the more, the more depth that you can cultivate through that experience, you know, so many, not everyone's going to have experienced uh, homelessness or, you know, disconnecting with their parents or siblings or the loss of a loved one. But we all understand that that is very much a part of the human condition. And mm-hmm. there's this, um, yeah, that that's a brilliant insight. And I was, when I learned about your process, I was like, of course, it, I mean, it just feel it's so natural. And, and you start to be able to see it in your work. Um, I find myself thinking about the people that you were, whose DMs you were reading when you, when you wrote that, not dissimilar to, you know, dear friend of mine, Brandon Stanton, humans of New York, you know, he has pictures of these actual people. You're like, wow, that person's going through that thing. And, and yet you've done it with, you know, color and words and all these different media spray paint, as you mentioned, acrylics, um, digital art. Um, I'm so grateful for your time. And I do want to congratulate you again on peace as a practice this is full of wisdom and grace and it's very powerful, very powerful concept. So this is a, a call. Our, our reader, our readers know that when I'm recommending a book like this, that um, we will, we will rally around you in your, it is your publication work here. We are, we, we are here in February, 2022. Um, but these principles are universal. I want to say thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for um, saying nice things about this community at the beginning where you've been a, you know, tuned to the work for a long time. Where would you steer folks aside from, you know, picking up pieces of practice? Where would you steer our attention to get more connected to you and your work outside, of course, of your multi-million following uh, Instagram <laughs> handle, which is Morgan Harper Nichols? Um, where else would you steer us? Yes. So I kind of like a a passion project that is ever growing that I'm working on is my app called Storyteller. And that is just a a space where I have just been kind of nerding out on what would it look like to, you know, on these devices that we use every day to just have this one contemplative, peaceful moment in the day where you could just reflect on something to help you to help you grow on your journey and and tell your story so it's a it's an app that sends out daily notifications and and artwork that i've created as well as my poetry and prose word of the day journal prompts all that fun stuff and affirmation and i I pour a lot of love into that project I, i i'm very very proud of it and it's available in apple and android app stores called storyteller 
Awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Um, mm. Grateful for the work that you put out in the world. You're so prolific. It's crazy to think of all the work that you got going on. And uh, it's I'm inspired by action. Action is, um, I don't know, just it's the, how much work you put out in the world. I think you touch a lot of people. Thank you so much for being a guest. We will rally around you and your work. And uh, until next time for... Um, on behalf of Morgan and myself to everyone out there on inter in internet land and in your ears. And if you're watching us on video, I want to say thank you very much. And until next time we bid you adieu. Yes. And thank you. All right. That's all for today's show, but Hey, before you go, I want to say thank you for listening and also for engaging with the platform, wherever you consume the show, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. Thank you so much. Reviews help a ton if you're willing to. And I want you to let you know in an effort to continue the topics we explore here on the show, or if you have questions, you can always direct your comments to me on all my social feeds. I'm at Chase Jarvis everywhere, but also I will see your message quicker if you shoot me a text. That's right. I can text directly with you. The best way is to hit me up at 206-309-5177. I get a lot of text, so I can't always get back to you right in the moment. But trust me, those are my thumbs on the other end of the keyboard. So I want to say thanks so much, and I look forward to engaging with you soon.